Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. Uh, I will be giving uh, the scripture reading for this morning, uh, and it's a long one. So I brought my bottle of water, so everybody buckle up. Um, so we'll be reading from Daniel 2. I will be reading from the NIV, uh, the newer one, if you care. Um, so let's begin. Uh, again, that's Daniel 2, the whole chapter. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants, uh, tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to, his, to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are telling, uh, trying to gain time because you realize that this uh, is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there, are only, uh, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can tell what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Uh, humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Then Arioch, um, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He said, uh, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king uh, and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. 
you have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. All right. Um, verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch told Daniel to the, took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his, dreams, uh, his, what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Balthasar, are, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the vision that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of, mystery, uh, of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I am greater, uh, I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your, ma your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept, through, uh, swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was your dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given your dominion and power and might and glory. Uh, in your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Uh, wherever they lay, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that, uh, that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will... Uh, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be, mi be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixed, mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. 
but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king that uh, what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its, it's, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. May God bless the reading of his word. Give uh, Nathan a. Wait, well done, Nathan. It's easy to get googly eyed and you're reading for that long. But the whole chapter is important. What a great story. Well, it's great to be back. I've been gone for, I figured, about 10 weeks now because uh, eight weeks was on sabbatical. And then I, last weekend, I was away at the retreat with some of you. Not all of you, just a part of us. And then here I am, back, and May is here too, but you probably saw her on the way in. She uh, was serving as usher today. Oh, there she is in the back. Hi, May. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You know, we've missed our church family. It's important to have times of rest and solitude, but it's not good for you to be alone for too long. So uh, we, we missed you guys, and it's great to be back. So... And we feel the love of the family again. And hopefully you feel the love from us toward you. Let me just pray for us before I begin preaching God's word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, how many of us have ever had a problem sleeping? Just raise your hand few of us, yeah. Now, I have to, I'm raising my hand, but I have to qualify that because usually I don't have any problem sleeping. I just zonk out. You can ask my wife, and it annoys her sometimes that I fall asleep so quickly, but uh, I, I have had specific times in my life where I've had some problems sleeping, so that's why I raised my hand. And when it comes to getting enough sleep, uh, both quality and quantity is very important. For us. We see this in studies, and it just came out again. I heard it in the last few weeks on the news that the amount of sleep we need to function well is super important. Does anybody know how many hours they suggest that we get sleep every night? No, it's not eight. It's a little lower. No, it's not six. It's in between eight and six. <laughs> it's seven. That's the latest, okay? Uh, I've heard eight years pass. Now it's seven. But again, what is the quality of that seven hours of sleep? Right? It's not just the quantity that's important here. And it's estimated right now by the CDC, the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, 
that at least seven hours is recommended of sleep for you to function well, not just like mentally, but physically, and to be healthy. Well, let's switch it a little bit related to our text. Have you ever, how many here have ever been woken up by a dream that they've had? Yeah, quite a few of us. And often it's, it's a nightmare, right? You're frightened awake. Um, but it could be something like, uh, you know, you're, we've, my wife and I have talked, and it's like you're looking for a bathroom, you can't find it, and you're looking everywhere, and you're getting frustrated, and finally you wake up and you realize, man, I got to go, you know? <laughs> so that dream wakes you up because your body's telling you, you better wake up, buddy, or you're going to have an accident, you know? But oftentimes it's a nightmare. And I had, I remember when I was a young man, and I had this reoccurring dream. thought of this when I was studying the text and here in Daniel 2. This reoccurring dream, it always was different, but it always ended up exactly the same. So it wasn't quite the same dream, but the ending was the same. So I was always, I don't know, it'd start differently, but at some point in the dream, near the end, I was running for my life for some reason. I was running because I was frightened, and I was running away from something that was chasing me. And somehow, I always ended up accidentally running off a cliff. You know, like, duh, right? But anyway, I was running and running, and then I'm falling through the air for some time in my dream, and I see the rocks coming up to me quickly, and then I wake up at the moment of impact. Right when I, you know, hit the rocks, I wake up, and usually I'm sweating and stuff. But then I realize it's just a stupid dream, and then I go back to sleep. You know, and I usually don't have a problem falling back to sleep. I would realize it was a dream, and only a dream, and it was just a nightmare for whatever reason. But have we ever had a dream that when we woke up, we remember it? And not only do we remember it, we can't forget it. Because a lot of dreams we just forget eventually, right? It's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo mixed together, this and that. But have you ever had a dream where you, you can't forget it, and it seems like it's significant with meaning in some way to you. It just kind of weighs on you, and you're like, wow, what does this mean? And it's different from the other dreams you had. Have you ever had one? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream like this. Matter of fact, it seems that when it says he had dreams in the beginning of our text, that it was a recurring dream that he had that really troubled his heart because he knew this was unlike the other crazy dreams he had. This was crazy, but it was significant. And he wanted to know the meaning of it, but it eluded him. He didn't have any idea what this meant. And so at this point, it's good to understand that this was only his second year as king, taking on the empire from his father. So when, to understand dreams, he called on these wise men, right? We hear in the story. But a lot of these wise men were inherited by his father. So they also were wise men, advisors to his father. Probably a lot of them were, could have been older than him and not really uh, built that relationship with him. You know, he's not really trusted. And we can see this in the way Nebuchadnezzar treated them, right? When he asked them to tell him his dream, not even interpret the dream by, by him telling him, um, and they responded saying, well, we can't tell you your dream. You've got to tell us the dream, and then we will interpret what it means. And he's like, no, no, you're trying to trick me. You tell me the dream, and then tell me what it means. And they're like, this is impossible. 
Nobody's ever asked that, right? You can tell us a dream. And then, you know, and what did he do in response? He, he had some issue with these people because he said, okay, if you can't tell me the dream, I'm going to kill you all. I mean, that seems pretty rash, doesn't it? A little crazy, but that's why we could maybe surmise from the text that he maybe didn't have this trust and uh, good relationship with the wise men at this point. You know, he probably felt they were untrustworthy, useless, and so he was just going to wipe them all out. Now, this took place after we saw last week with Pastor Paul preaching on how Daniel's showing the faithfulness of God to his people who follow him. Well, this is taking place obviously after Daniel and his three friends that were mentioned in our text too had gone through this training for three years in preparation for service of the king. Because now they were, quote, wise men, but they were probably junior wise men. You know, like when you start as an engineer, you're a junior engineer, and you get to be an engineer, and then you're the senior engineer, whatever. But they, they hadn't got any significant positions of influence at this point because they were just beginning their service for the king. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that God, the living God of heaven and earth, would reveal his message and purposes to someone who doesn't even believe in him. Right? I mean, we were probably sitting there and saying, yeah, I believe in him. I, I don't really have any dreams like this, you know? But God speaks. It's really interesting. It's like if you think of another story in the scriptures that this happens, can you have anybody in the Old Testament? Pharaoh, Genesis 41, he had a dream, and Joseph at that point, who was also a slave, like Daniel and his friends here, he could interpret dreams. And so there's this similar occasion where God was telling this unbeliever something very important, revealing himself to these people and then to a broader uh, broader group of people, which is the whole empire of Egypt and now Babylon. So Joseph, uh, he revealed and was also promoted to a high position in Egypt. So we see this same thing happening here to Daniel as he interprets this dream and he's promoted as well. But it's interesting, it reminds me of this verse in 1 Corinthians where it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Here these were slaves interpreting the, the dream of the king and revealing God's great plan and who he is. See, God speaks to people through dreams. We see this in the scriptures, and there's no reason to not think that God is the same as he was then as he is now. And he well, very well could speak to you and me through a dream. You know, an interesting story from a while ago, Henry Stanley, uh, who was actually searching for, he went to Africa to search for this missionary who you may have heard of before, David Livingston, who was uh, in the 1800s as a missionary there. But this guy, Stanley, goes and looks for Livingston. He must have disappeared or lost track of him. And so he's looking for Stanley, I mean for Livingston, and, and he comes and he's received by King Mutesa in Uganda. And when he is received by the king, the queen, interestingly, after Stanley arrives, shares this dream that she had of the white man's God and his son, Jesus Christ. She must have heard the name before. But, and so she relates this dream uh, to them. And the king and queen, queen plead with Stanley to write a letter to the missionaries in England to come to them 
and talk to them about this God. Now, Stanley was not uh, a missionary. He was probably, uh, he was looking for Livingston for some practical reason to provide supplies or something. And so he wrote this letter and he sent it with this young Frenchman who was a part of his uh, entourage and this guy was going to go back to Europe. And so he said, can you bring this letter back? You know, there's no mail service at this point that was established like we have today. So this Frenchman leaves Stanley's party and on his way, even before he gets out of Uganda, he gets murdered. And so, and then months go by and British soldiers find this Frenchman's body, what's left of it. And, and they search the body, and they go through his stuff, and they find this letter that Stanley had written and given to him in the guy's boot, so it was survived. So they, they bring it to England themselves or send it along. And the letter became pretty famous at that time, so it made the newspaper, and they published it, like this letter of King Mutesa and the Queen asking for the missionaries to come. So the missionary Church Missionary Society appealed out publicly for volunteers to go, missionaries to go to King Mutesa and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The point of this story is this all began with a dream that the queen had. They were not believers either. You know, and when we took a team to Indonesia uh, in 2017 and 2018, the missionaries there, before we went out to be and live with the, village, the villagers who had not any connection with Christianity, they told us that we should at some point ask the people that we come and talk to and socialize with if they've ever had a dream that they felt was from God. And they told us right away, you about 50% of the time, you'll come with some answer. They'll say, yeah, now that you ask me. And they'll say, they'll explain this dream. God speaks to us through dreams. And in the scriptures, God often revealed things to people through dreams and visions. And Jacob, if you remember Jacob's ladder, that story in the Old Testament, that was a dream. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, like we mentioned, he had a dream himself. Not only did he interpret dreams, but he had a dream. God spoke to him. And then the Apostle Paul had a vision and dream. And Peter, Apostle Peter, the vision, if you remember the sheets coming down, he had that vision. And then the Apostle John, from which we get the book of Revelation. That's all a vision, the whole book, right? So you see this pattern that God speaks to us what he wants us to know about the circumstances we're in or something specific or something broad about what's going to happen. It's very interesting. And then Peter, if you remember at the Pentecost, he preached and he spoke of this, this prophecy from the prophet Joel. This is all recorded in Acts chapter 2. And this is the words of Peter, speaking though from the prophet Joel. This is what he said there. In the last days, which is now. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And to prophesy just means to speak on behalf of the Lord. Daniel and his friends were facing execution because they didn't know what the king's dream was. And so they pleaded with God for help and for his wisdom. And that's something we can do today because this is the same applies for us. Whatever our circumstances are today, whatever you're facing, the first and foremost thing we can do 
is ask God for his help and his wisdom. God will respond. And Daniel experienced God's response that same night when him and his friends were praying and asking God for revelation. You see, God had already given Daniel and his friends great um, understanding of the Babylonian culture and their language, even above and beyond the others that were being trained. We heard that last week in chapter 1. And this is also why Daniel knew how to approach this situation with wisdom and tact, we see in the text. Because God had given him this understanding of how things worked in the Babylonian culture. And so that's why he went directly to the king and to tell the king, give us time and we will ask the living God to reveal to us your dream and its interpretation. And so Daniel then immediately goes and tells with his friends, to ask the Lord for this revelation. He believed God would reveal them the dream because he knew that this situation had come to them for such a time for God to reveal himself. So he had this confidence. See, God's written word, the scriptures, the Bible that we just Nathan just read for us, that is God's written revelation of his truth for us. So if you and I want to know God, we must know the written word. And that's a lifelong process. You know, just because you read something once, you don't know it. You only know some of it. I'm reading this for a long time now, and <laughs> I forget things all the time, so I got to reread. Yeah, that's the, that's the basis. But then the Lord has also told us that his spirit, which dwells those of us who believe in him, he also reveals to us his wisdom and help in our circumstances. He speaks to us. He, he responds to our prayers like he did with Daniel. And that's why Daniel and his friends, it was revealed to them, the interpretation of the dream as well as the dream itself. You know, people who trust in and follow Jesus can listen to the Spirit because his Spirit dwells within us. So we learn in the next part of the story that Nebuchadnezzar's dream, then, as Daniel interprets it, is really of the future. God's purposes and plans for what's going to happen. And so the main point here in this next part is that God's kingdom is going to rule the earth. And this is important for the Babylonians to understand and the world in general, but especially King Nebuchadnezzar, because he is the most powerful guy on the planet at this point, at least in the Mediterranean basin area. So Daniel's interpretation shows many truths, some which have already occurred at that point, but also, I mean, for us today even, and some that have not yet occurred. So the key to understanding these four parts of the statue is in the last phrase of verse 38 and then the following verses. The one phrase is that you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And so he is saying that the Babylonian empire is the head of gold. And then what do we know about the other three metals? Well, verses 39 and 40 spell that out. I'll read those again. And after you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, who will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all others. So we see in this interpretation that this statue is a symbolic representation of these empires that are going to come 
and rule the Mediterranean basin. Because really, God's viewpoint is from his people. Jerusalem, Israel, Palestine. So whoever rules that area, this is what he is talking about. So first, right then and there, is Babylon. Babylon. And I, let me uh, throw up this image here to help you. Somebody made this, and it's, it helps us understand this gold head is Babylonian Empire. And then after the Babylonian Empire falls, it falls and actually is taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire, which we learn about in Daniel 8. He identifies the next two empires by name in Daniel 8, and we'll get to that eventually. So that's the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the belly and thighs of bronze of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, right? We've seen the movies uh, that have been made about that. And so uh, that is the Greek Empire. And then following the Greek Empire, as that falls apart, the Roman Empire rises up, and that's the two legs of iron. And, and then after those, we see there's another actually part of the statue, the feet. And the feet are this mixture of clay and iron. And this refers to this, uh, possibly, to the breakup of the Roman Empire, because there's still iron, but there's also this clay. And so some, uh, this new, what it calls, refers to as this kingdom, is partly strong, partly weak. Now, it's highly significant that no world empire has ever arose in the Mediterranean basin in Europe area since the Roman Empire to control everything. Not one empire. Um, I, I was thinking about this in the Ottoman Empire. Didn't really control the whole Mediterranean basin. It was just more north, right? Turkey and, and all the way to Asia, <laughs> that area, but, and part of Europe. But nothing after the Roman Empire broke up. And really, the Western civilization comes from the Roman Empire and is significantly influenced by Rome and Greek, ancient Roman Greek. And that includes broadly the United States. Um, but if you look at Europe and even the Mediterranean basin countries, they're significantly influenced by Rome and Greek because of that, that history there of these empires. But note that when the stone hits the statue, it doesn't hit the head or the, or the chest or the thighs. It hits the feet, if you take a look at that. Right? This rock that was uncut by human hands hits the feet and crushes and demolishes this whole statue, smashes it. And what's interesting is it means that this stone, which represents the cornerstone, hey, you know, <laughs> so this image of a rock that it means Christ Jesus comes and demolishes all the kingdoms of man. Anything that's been made by human hands is not going to last, but it demolishes all the things that have been made by human hands, the kingdoms of humans. Everything built by human hands will become dust in the wind. And then Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth. But if you think about it, when did Jesus come? He came and he ushered the kingdom to come in and break into this reality during the Roman Empire. That's the legs. So what happened? Did they like a curveball and miss the right timing here in the dream? <laughs> But this is also talking about this kingdom that's already here, but not yet fully here. Because when Jesus returns, it's going to be in, in demolishing the kingdoms of man, which are still obviously here and present. It's going to be during this time of iron and clay, mixture of strength and weakness, which is, I would say, in the period we are now. 
We have some strong countries in the Mediterranean basin in Europe and some weak ones. Not so strong. So know what Daniel said about that final kingdom of the feet. Right? There's a few things we can note. One that I've mentioned already is that it's not made by human hands. So it doesn't depend on us or humans in any way. It's all about what Christ does when he returns. Secondly, it will smash all earthly kingdoms. So if we have our hope in this world, we're placing our hope in the wrong thing. And then thirdly, it's universal and eternal, which then ties into the fourth one, is it is unchallengeable. Because we see in the text, especially verse 44, plainly saying that the final kingdom will not be left to another people because his kingdom's final. He will never be replaced by another kingdom. The rock grows to an enormous size that fills the whole earth. And we see that now because the kingdom of God is being spread, but in a way, not physically, though it is kind of physically spread, but we're spreading it from heart to heart. The kingdom of God is within us. And as we share Jesus' truth and salvation and it's accepted, then the kingdom of God is just spread to another heart. But when Jesus comes back and returns, he will establish his kingdom physically and nothing will remain, only what he establishes. So this is an important truth. God's kingdom has come in power through Jesus' death and resurrection, and yet the kingdom of God will come in physical presence and rule the earth completely when Jesus returns. So Daniel and his friends, now we see uh, as they, are, they had this interpretation revealed to them and they share it with uh, the king, um, not only did this set them up into a high position, but up to this point, we saw in chapter 1, that they modeled their commitment to the, the kingdom of God, to the Lord God of the universe and what he had called them to live by following and being faithful to the Old Testament laws and their identity as the Jews being God's people. And in the same way today, we also are still called to live for God's kingdom that will rule the whole earth. We will experience abundant life when we live for the kingdom. And this is our worship. What we do here on Sundays is only a small part of our worship. We call it a worship service because we come together and we worship the Lord God together as his people, his community. And this is unique experience because we are physically gathered together and it's important because we are not to give up the habit of meeting together. But even more importantly is how we worship God when we are scattered or just a few of us together here and there because that also is our worship. Our worship is how we live and speak and move in Christ Jesus following the lead of his spirit. And Jesus commanded us in Matthew 6.33, saying, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God's will for us is very simple. He wants you and me and the whole world to draw close to him. He's close to us. He's our creator. He's our father in heaven. But he wants you to draw close to him. And that takes an, a decision of your will. And it's the same, in a sense, same call that Jesus did to people when he was walking on earth. He said what? 
He said, come follow me. That literally means come draw close to me. Come follow me. And when I think back to my days in college, studying to get my electrical engineering degree, and I was thinking at that point, how in the world will my electrical engineering degree be used for God's work on this earth? And I learned in time that it wasn't necessarily the work I was doing as an engineer, but it was the people I was working with, the context and where I worked. That, the Lord said, was my mission field. Because the, right now, the kingdom of God spreads heart to heart. And so I did everything I could at that point to spread the truths of the scriptures and, and Jesus Christ in any way I could as an engineer working for Lockheed Sanders. And then we worship God and give him glory when we seek first his kingdom in our relationships. You know, whatever context we have, our family relationships, our friendships, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our spouse, our children are all contexts for us to worship and glorify God and seek first his kingdom. Are we doing that? You know, our retreat speaker last weekend, Pastor Jeff Trong, um, he's a pastor in New York at uh, Vineyard Manhattan. And his wife Erica challenged us to, in the context of knowing God's will, to listen to God. Specifically, listen to his spirit that dwells within us and leads us and guides us and manifests himself in us in many ways. And when we were listening to this, we were realized that when we pray, I don't know about you, but oftentimes we are in a rush. This is our culture. And so we, we pray listing things out to God. Right? We, we talk about our concerns, our requests, our fears, our worries, our, you know, what we're, we haven't planned yet, we're anxious about it, our problems. But we rarely, rarely just sit in silence and listen for his response. It's like saying, hey, Paul, how you doing? It's great to see you. Okay, bye. And, you know, and I never give Paul a chance to say, like, how he's doing, really. I asked him how he was doing, but I didn't wait for his response. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I just want to say what I want to say and get going to the next thing. And we do this, and we're not really listening. Think of Daniel and his friends when they were asking and pleading with God to come and reveal this mystery to them of what the king dreamt, Right? There's nothing they could do. It, they were totally dependent on God revealing that. Do you think they were talking about this the whole time? I doubt it. They probably would say something, but then they were just waiting. Waiting. Okay, God, you got you to let us know. And they were quiet and waiting. And, and verse 19 of our text says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then we see in our text this whole length of him praising God because he experienced this unbelievable mystery that he now knows and has revealed to him what went on in a guy's head <laughs> when he was sleeping. That's amazing. And then the interpretation as well. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you follow Jesus, you can know the heart of God with respect to specifically your situation by listening to him in context of his truth that we know from his word. He's not going to tell us something that goes against what he's revealed in his word. So if you hear that, then you can, you can bet that that's not from the Lord. 
But he can also reveal specific things to us that are in line with his word about our lives. How are we listening? And whatever you're experiencing now, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Maybe you, he wants you to draw close to him, to believe in him, to trust in him as Lord and Savior of your life. So are you stressed out about something? Are you nervous about what's going to happen this coming week? Some of us are going back to classes, whether in college or school in our townships. Are you discouraged in some way or anxious or depressed about something that happened in your life? You know, the Spirit of God is in us who follow Jesus, but are we listening to him? Are we just saying simply, come Holy Spirit, as we sang earlier? Come Holy Spirit and just speak to me in regards to this. And are we willing to be silent and wait for a response? God waits for us all the time. So I'm, I'm simply going to challenge us this week and following. See if we can just take, when we're in our times with the Lord God, reading his word, spending time just to take five minutes to not say anything. And listen and just say, come Holy Spirit, speak to me on this issue. Or just speak to me. I'm willing to listen. And this can be done as right before we start work or before we go to sleep at night or maybe during lunch or after reading the scriptures. I mean, we read our scriptures daily and, and listen just for the Holy Spirit's guidance in some way. See, God's kingdom will rule the earth, but the question then is really, whose kingdom do we think we're a part of? Oftentimes we think we're pursuing our own kingdom and not God's. Whose kingdom are you pursuing let's pray lord god we thank you for your word and the challenge of it but lord we confess we often are so focused on ourselves and our needs and our worries and our the injustices that have been done to us that lord we we forget, or we don't even value to wait and listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, we know first and foremost, we need to know your word. And if we're not even regularly reading that, that's one indication we're not listening. And if we're not listening in silence to you as well, that's another indication we're not listening. Father, open up our hearts and give us rest and peace so that we can just be secure knowing that we don't know and we're waiting for, to hear from you. Move in us, we pray, in Cornerstone that we become a people moved and led by your Spirit and full of your truth and love. Amen.